Welcome to The Right to Shower, critical conversations on homelessness and cleanliness. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Right to Shower, conversations with social experts and leaders on why access to cleanliness is a human right. This podcast is brought to you by The Right to Shower. The Right to Shower helps build mobile showers for those experiencing homelessness. Stick around at the end of the podcast to learn how you can get involved. I'm your host, Darius Baxter, president and CEO of Good Projects. And today we are blessed and excited that we're going to be discussing the effects of homelessness on children and young adults with none other than Supervisor Doss Williams. He's going to be with me today discussing all of the many facets of homelessness and how he's been involved with many nonprofit organizations benefiting communities, as well as serving on a commission for a program aimed at proving children with early in life resources. A man who can speak from experience when discussing the challenges of experiencing homelessness County Supervisor Doss Williams for the Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors. Doss Williams, we are so glad to have you here today. I'm honored to be here. Now, when we were talking before the show, you told me, actually, uh, I know I have my good DJ voice for the podcast, but you actually used to be a DJ. Yes, I used to be a in-radio DJ when I was in high school. I eventually got the best time slot, Saturday night, uh, which for a young adult is about the prime time of life. Well, just afterwards was the time that maybe informed a lot of my thinking about these things when I ended up having to live out of my vehicle, being homeless. We're going to get into that, but we're going to start a little bit with the party. And I know the people probably don't get to get this side of you a little bit, but tell me about what was some of the favorite music that you got to play while you were in college? Who was your your favorite artist? Or you said high school. Who was your favorite artist in high school? I liked the stuff that would be very obscure. It was mostly punk and uh, ska. You probably never heard of of any of it. Well, I mean... You may have heard of the ska greats of the old days uh, from Jamaica, like ska delights. And obviously that music helped create reggae, as we know it. So a lot of a lot of Bob Marley's beats were originally ska beats. So that's probably the stuff that people know from mass culture. But I don't think a single one of my bands is in the top 100 anymore. <laughs> but it was great. Good for politics, too. The punk scene out here was very politically aware. Where are you based out of, Doss? Santa Barbara County. But at the time, I lived in Isla Vista, which is a little denser, more urban, lower income enclave close to the university. So I can only imagine being the high school DJ on Saturday night. That had to get you a little bit of attention, I'm assuming. You were a popular guy back then? I was considered, I think, a strange guy. You know how sometimes occasionally there's a sort of popularity that comes from being strange and maybe a little bit running with bad kids too much. That was definitely me. I had some restraint, but I ran with the bad crowd, if you know what I mean. Hmm. I can only imagine. And you you started tapping out a little bit into, you were talking about this period in your life. You talk about running with the bad kids. You were also living out of your car. Yeah. Just after that period, in order to be able to live in Santa Barbara and go to school in Santa Barbara after I was on my own, I had to drop out of high school, start community college, and live out of my vehicle because the rents were just too much. They've only gotten a lot worse here. We're a community that, for most of my lifetime, did not build a single market rate apartment. And so you're dealing with a rental market that has had very little production in the past 45 years because of some zoning changes that we made into the when I was on the city council or that we started when I was on the city council. We're just starting to build more rental housing, but it's created a situation where in a community that's 60% renters, 
they are being squeezed very, very hard. And so more and more people are having to find alternatives like living out of their vehicles. But help me understand, how old are you at this time? Oh, at the time I was 16. Help me understand, how does a 16-year-old end up with the responsibility of having to pay for their own rent? Well, I came from divorced parents and had to get my stuff together. And my uh, dad eventually took a job out in Albuquerque and I had already moved 10 times during elementary school and I had finally found a home here and I I wanted to stay and get my education here. And it's a good place to get an education. It wasn't just I wanted to be with my friends. It was a good place to have a, a start. So I, I hung on. And that's what a lot of Santa Barbans do. A lot of lower income Santa Barbans, they hang on. I, I understand uh... Stories like that all too well. I I truly do. You know, at points in my life, I've also experienced homelessness, particularly as a youth. And when reflecting on that period of my life, it was actually one of the things that uh, was the saving grace was my grandma's house. You know, when we found ourselves without a house, we all moved into one bedroom there. And I remember there was uh, five of us living in this uh, this two bedroom house in Southeast DC at the time, all sharing one bathroom. And there would be mornings I'd be so upset because I'd be the last one to be able to take a shower and the water was cold. Now as an adult, <laughs> I, my, my friends get upset with me. Now I'll run the shower for 30 minutes. I'm not proud of it. I know the environment of people that get mad at me, but I think it's just my ode to myself, you know, that I've made it. I've gotten to a point where I, can, I have my own shower. When you were going through that period in your life, living out of your car, fighting for yourself, 16, 17, 18 years old, how important was cleanliness for you and just giving you the spirit to keep fighting on? Well, it was really important for me because I think for a lot of people who are living out of their vehicles, the way you survive is to pretend you're not homeless. Wear whatever clothes that make you part of society, but it's hard to appear part of society if it's obvious that you haven't taken a shower for a while, right? (laughs) So to me, it was really important to be a part of the Santa Barbara City College campus community and to date, and to be able to carry a job. I mean, that's really the crucial thing, right? So many people who live out of their vehicles are still in the labor force. And I was definitely in the labor force. I had two jobs and a shower is pretty crucial on that. So even though there was a shower and eventually now some of my colleagues did legislation that I got to support before I left the legislature on it. But even though the city college had showers, plenty of showers, I had to go shower at the cold, unheated beach lots to get a shower most of the time because you had to be enrolled in a PE class to use those showers. So it it was kind of a dumb quandary, right? Why wouldn't you want to have students be able to use the showers? And it was pretty important to being able to hold down a job and being able to be part of society. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about brothers living out of their cars that are going to be successful. You, Tyler Perry, Steve Harvey... It's just something, man. It's something. But I definitely get it. But you you were able to get yourself together. You made it through community college. Now, where are you in life at this point? I'm now a county supervisor, which for East Coasters, that's the equivalent of a county commissioner. But I served a period of time in the state legislature as well and on a city council. And I think I got a good start in life at that time, ironically, when I was in the middle of all that, partially because I had good professors that I found that were willing to mentor me. Within two years, I was going first working in South Africa for the first democratic elections for Nelson Mandela's political party. And then 
going to UC Berkeley. So things looked up pretty quick. And you found yourself working at an organization called PATH. Was this right after college or was this after? How did you end up there? I've never worked for PATH, but PATH is one of our several contractors that we work with at the county who administer services to homeless and to homeless prevention. And we've got some great ones. One of those is PATH and one of those that operates actually our safe parking program, which I know you'll want to talk about, is uh, New Beginnings. And another one right up your alley is Showers of Blessing that goes out with mobile showers to homeless populations around town. Yeah, and we're really excited to get into those. I'm interested, Das, I understand that you had your own experience with homelessness living out of your car as a teenager, but I have this hard-pressing belief that there's something deeper that motivates you to continue to fight for those experiencing homeless on a day-to-day basis. Like, what is it for you that gets you out of bed in the morning and say, this is something that you want to champion? To me, it is an, an article of, of my faith. In the book of Matthew, the pretty important passage, people call the, the sheeps and the goats, right? The punchline that most people know of in that passage is that you do, do the least of mine, you also do to me. When the world's great faiths, and I don't think it's just Christianity that has this, but that's been special for me, when it issues commandments like clothe the naked and feed the poor. It doesn't have any caveats like unless they're mean or unless they're smelly or unless they're mentally ill. It doesn't have caveats like that. It is comes from a, a firm conviction that every human being is redeemable no matter how deep they've slid into darkness. We might be looking at our future president here, people. But today we want to talk about how homelessness affects children and young adults in college. I'll share a little stat with you. You know, in 2020, USA Today reported that in the years of 2016 and 2017, nearly 250,000 students, grades K through 12, were considered homeless. Mm-mm-mm. Das, Houston, we have a problem. Das, why do you think people are not aware of this crisis in America? Well, partially it's because so many people that are homeless, particularly young people that are homeless, they try to fake it till they make it. Of course, not all of them make it. They couch surf. In our community, they don't just double up, triple up rooms. They quintuple up rooms or sextiple up rooms. There's massive crowding in housing, particularly for young adults in our community. That's part of it. Part of it is we have a crazy housing market. I don't think it's any accident that California has more than its share of those folks and that our housing market is one of the most out of control in the whole country. And it's not like every person who's homeless would be housed if housing were cheaper, but we would definitely have an easier time of it. Meaning as the county, the limiting factor we have, a lot of people who question whether housing the homeless is a possible strategy, the limiting factor is not the number of homeless people who are willing to get clean, get sober, and get housed. That's not the limiting factor. The limiting factor is the amount of actual units that we can put them in. And it's because of a variety of reasons, but NIMBYism is probably the biggest reason, the not in my backyard syndrome, that we have a hard time building enough housing for everyone, and in particular for the homeless. You've thought of a few solutions um, to this problem, and you've championed a number of them over the course of not just your political career, but your professional career. One of the more recent ones, the Tiny Home Project. Can you share a little bit about that for our listeners? 
Absolutely. We are doing a number of tiny homes projects in Santa Barbara County. Mainly we're doing that. We'd love it if property owners were willing to rent us parking lots. Mainly we're gaining a lot of forward momentum because we've just said, forget it. We're not going to wait for people to lease us land or for a construction project that takes a long time and has a big review process. We're just going to put them on our land. You don't need a permit, and even in the state of California, you don't need a permit to put temporary structures on your own land. So we can scale this fairly rapidly. We want to do them with really nice design aesthetics so that Santa Barbara's, you know, we like our shishi stuff here, so that they will buy into it. But I got to say, we're not really waiting around for community buy-in either. In my experience, most people want you to solve homelessness, but they always say, but this isn't the right location. And I've now been in working in politics for 20 years and I've never seen the ideal location. I don't know where it is. So I just got to work with what I got. And that is county land at this point. But we keep on looking for private property owners who would also be willing to use parking lots. The stigma on this is as heavy as you know, Darius. I've, got, I've approached fenced off unused parking lots and gone to their owners I said, hey, there's a homeless person already living there. You won't rent that to us? You're making zero money right now on your parking lot. You won't rent it to us? They're like, no. So, I mean, it's very interesting how powerful that stigma is. So we'd love some of those property owners to get get with it, but we're not waiting for that. We're also buying buildings, buying hotels, like more like motel-ish places. We're fixing them up. So we're actually making them look a lot nicer than they were but housing them as sort of transitional Section 8 housing. So we're pumping up, basically creating hundreds of new new units a year. We're a small community, a county of only 450,000 people. Don't come on the right to shower and get yourself in trouble, Dodge. You say you're not waiting for community buy-in. I love it. I love it. But, oof, you know, some people plan and some people do. Dodge, you sound like a doer to me. But taking it back to the fact, why is homelessness particularly detrimental to children, right? When you think about that initial stat of the 250,000 young people in America that find themselves homeless, it's very appalling. But when you think about the development of a child, it's important to provide that stability to make sure that they're getting the right nutrition. Just even thinking about your own experience as a 16-year-old living in a car, having to provide for yourself. You know, why is this issue so important when we think about children in this country? When we talk about poverty, we're talking about mostly children and single, single moms, Homelessness is a little bit different. It's got a a more varied demographic, but that's the reality of this country. And we have to address it as a kid's issue. And it's enormously detrimental because we now know a lot more about childhood development than we did 30 years ago. And we know that the start that they get in their first five years can really help or hurt them for the rest of their life. And I don't know if you're familiar with the ACES scores, Adverse Childhood Experience that is, you know, essentially if you have a ACES score of five or more, you on average have a, you know, 20 year less lifespan than other people. ACES covers everything from poverty to different kinds of abuse to divorce, alcoholism. We shouldn't be allowing kids the conditions by which we take 20 years off of their lifespan. And unfortunately, it's not usually off the back end, right? when kids don't get the right start and are more likely to fall in from drugs, alcohol, suicide, or other factors. Again, 
Dash, you continue to impress me because as I was reviewing your extensive resume and bio, not just personally, but all the, the many things that you've introduced in your role in California, one of the things that really stood out to me was the first five commission, where you've really applying this focus to children in their early years. Can you tell us a little bit more about the first five commission and what are some of the things that it's doing for young people in California? Well, we're in a real transition phase. First Five has been able to use some great work to help get more quality childcare out to the community. But we're in, in the phase now of a very exciting transition that the rest of the country could also have if President Biden's spending package is ever passed by Congress. And that is we are expanding transitional kindergarten down to four years of age. So by expanding the cohort every year, California is on a path to make sure that every kid four and up is in the K through 12 school system if they so choose, which means that our childcare sector here in California is now in a big transition where we need to get a lot more of the people who are doing preschool to be doing infant care. And it's a, a tough environment. Before COVID, we had twice as many people looking for childcare as could find it in the South County. And a lot of that has to do with factors that are surmountable. How low pay is in the childcare sector is one of the big, big ones. So suffice to say, we got a lot of work to do, but it is an exciting time. It's more likely that parents will be able to better afford, because the K through 12 education system is free, better afford, you know, to have quality childcare. I love your optimism, Doss. I love your optimism. Write your Congress member, make sure they vote for Biden's spending package. It's not just about climate change, so that's an important one, but it's about transitional kindergarten and it could well, help remake America in a positive way for our kids. Well, I wish I could, Doss, but as a resident of the District of Columbia, I'm not actually represented in Congress. I know that's an injustice too. We got to talk about that someday. Uh, that's, a, that's another topic. So I would encourage you to write your Congress member to pass the bill to make DC the 51st state. But on that note, taking it back to when you were talking about uh, living in your car, you talked about going to community college and you shared about one of the bills that was pushed through that now allows any student that is attending a community college to be able to use the showers at the university. But one of the other things that we saw that you've really pushed for was California Long Beach passing the bill that began allowing students to sleep in their cars. While is it a great start, should we expect a legislative push for any other initiatives like this? I do think there will be some more pushes. I think there will be some pushes for uh, loosening the environmental review process for uh, for many of the types of solution housing solutions for homeless. Unfortunately, it's been really abused. Los Angeles has tried to do a strong drive towards housing the homeless, and it's been resisted by many what are called CEQA lawsuits. So I do think that there is going to be some changes in state law that will address that. I have to say, though, one of the most important ways to address increasing capacity for folks to have a safe place to park is programming. We have a program, New Beginnings, that has a safe parking program. I was in the room when the program was envisioned uh, and gave some input. I won't say that I'm the architect, but I put some input into it. Don't worry, I'll call you the architect. Das was the architect. <laughs> well, we were going to call it the Department of Homeless Security, because we were going to try to, you know, bring it to private property owners that you want this 
at your commercial establishment so you have someone keep an eye out on things at the times when you're not you know, overnight. It has not been as successful in the commercial sector as we hoped, but they now have a lot of parking spots in government parking lots, in church parking lots, nonprofit parking lots. This is the recipes to their success. Number one, it's decentralized. They don't have a bunch of parking people parking together, so they're tempted to party it up. They've got monitors. They've got a kind of a covenant with the property owner, and they have monitors that go by and work with the people. And they try to do, of course, case management and services so they can get some people into permanent housing, whether it be Section 8 or market housing. And this program has been has become a national model. They've written up uh, actually how to do this book. If you want to start a program like this in your community, they wrote the book on it. So if you want to help New Beginnings, we need help because we still haven't, unfortunately, met demand. So look them up for that or look them up because you want the how to do it book to do this in your own community. Well, Daz, it seems to be this sort of running theme, and I know it's not unique to you. Uh, you are truly a visionary, but it seems to be this running theme. You have these these bold ideas, and at times it seems like you're walking alone in them. Obviously, we can look at your track record and see people usually catch up to where you are, but what has encouraged you sort of in these times where you sort of put these things out here and at times you are out there by yourself. What's encouraged me is the progress that we've been making the last couple of years. I wasn't elected during during the whole debate over the 10-year plan to end chronic homelessness. Communities like ours came up with great plans, but there was no money attached to it. And so it came to nothing. What's happened in the last couple of years with you know ARPA, the federal relief package, and some of the state relief package from COVID has been the actual money to get this stuff done. And so we've paired that with local funds. So we're doing a $22 million expansion on the kind of homeless services that we're doing through a combination of temporary housing, permanent housing, and California has called home key and room key programs where you temporarily house some homeless folks in hotel rooms that are owned privately. And uh, our program at the county's worked really well. Some other programs have had some controversy, but we're just going to make this happen. And I got to tell you, I'm not alone in this. I, I've got a lot of support, a lot from people like me that have worked in public policy solutions for long enough where they know that the perfect is the enemy of the good, right? That if you don't go for the opportunities that you've got, chances are they're not going to be the perfect site that comes along later. I love how you put that. I, I say it differently. I say uh, perfection is the opposite of progress. One place that you have made progress is last year when the Santa Barbara board approved a $1.5 million expansion of the encampment resolution strategy. Have you seen any results so far from that expansion? Absolutely. And it's just, again, a piece of a $22 million expansion over and above what the community and county have been doing every year beforehand. We've seen a 700 people housed during COVID and we're a small community. You know, we- Can I give you some snaps? Thank you. Go ahead. You say, how many, how many people did you house during COVID? 700. Woot, woot. I, keep uh, telling, yes. I keep telling the producers, they need to give me a buzzer. I just want to be able to, <laughs> they said I can bring my own blow horn, but I, I don't know if we can do that in the studio. 
No, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's truly a blessing. So we're we're hopeful. And that kind of progress gives me hope. I mean, I'm not sure that a lot of people in the community have noticed more. I, I think they may have noticed that there's less people in, in encampments than there was two years ago, and definitely more than there was a year ago. I don't know if they've noticed the dramatic change because there are more people slipping into homelessness, largely because of the price of housing, which has become more and more out of reach for folks. But we're not going to stop. We, we know this is the opportunity that many of us have waited all our lives for to, to actually solve this problem instead of just complain about it. No, we haven't been waiting our entire lives to do it. We were born to do it. Das, we were born to do it. That's the responsibility that we have as humans. But before we get into our close, just dream with me for a second, Das. I don't think there's anybody more uniquely positioned to answer this question, both from your experiences and your passions. But if we're we're dreaming of a city or a community as we continue to pursue a future where no child experiences homelessness and no college student has to sleep in their car or can't take a shower, what should cities and communities do to be able to achieve that vision? I think in coastal California, the first and most important thing is to realize that our vision of how to protect our quality of life turned out not to work. Uh, the vision of the baby boomer generation of is small is beautiful, right? Keep saying no to housing. And they did that in order to save the environment and save their quality of life. In California, 60% of carbon emissions come from vehicle miles traveled, which has expanded dramatically as because we haven't built housing close to the jobs, pushed it farther and farther out. We've also pushed our people of color farther and farther out, destroying communities that existed in our our area for many, many years. And now we're making it impossible for young people to live here regardless of their color. So we're destroying the environment, we're exacerbating homelessness, and we're preventing multi-generational communities from coalescing and surviving with our lack of willingness to build housing. And I'm not saying we need to build housing everywhere. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm a deep environmentalist. But we've got to build housing and stuff that will be affordable and therefore dense housing close to where the jobs are. That's the only way that we can have our communities survive and still earn that name of community. Otherwise, we're just going to be a place that rich people come to live when they get old and we'll eat our young to get there primary in the vision is to integrate our ideals with what we're doing on the ground. Our ideals about racial equity, our ideals about environmental stewardship, and our ideals about fighting homelessness. Dreaming bigger, I think really great things about representing a community like Santa Barbara is I've got a real educated electorate. This is definitely the place that if it was possible to have a community where every young child gets a a chance. There is enough brain power, enough money power. I mean, Oprah lives in my district, right? Can you see if we can get her on the show? (laughs) You know, know, there is enough brain power, enough money here, and enough volunteerism here to make sure that every young child has a good start. And that is definitely the vision that I hope we can move towards. Man, we manifesting Oprah. On to the right to shower. 
And we even yeah. have the former Royals here too. We got a lot of we you know we got a lot of people. Yeah. We we manifesting it. Come on, Das. Got to make sure you push this out across your socials. Um, speaking of socials, how can our listeners get involved, and where can they find you? Well, uh, definitely. My email is dwilliams at countyofsb.org. I'm on Facebook, Das Williams. I don't think there's a whole lot of those ones in the world, D-A-S Williams. I would say the other way to get involved is look up Santa Barbara New Beginnings, look up Santa Barbara Showers of Blessing, look up PATH, which operates throughout Southern California. Get involved in your own community. It doesn't take a whole lot of capital to get a, a mobile shower program going. It doesn't take a lot of capital. It just takes enough qualified people to make a doctor's without walls program. Like we have a, you know, a number of very dedicated doctors that go out and do street medicine as a side gig. They just do it to help folks. They've got their own paying job and they do that just to help on top. And if you want to get a safe parking program, get a copy of the book from uh, a new beginnings because you can make it happen in, in your community. Das Williams, everybody. Das Williams. Now, Das, this is going to be the first episode that we do this, but I think especially in this time when you touched on a couple of these points, we want to leave the, the listeners with an affirmation. So I'm going to put the honest on you as the first guest to do this. Do you have an affirmation for the listeners as we sign off today? I don't know if it qualifies as an affirmation, but, you know, it's an old one. It's not a new one, which is just, you know, anybody who wants to establish a better world, uh, it's to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable because that's the only way we'll create the change that we need. A huge thank you to DJ Das for being with us today and helping us better understand why many of our children and young adults across the nation need our continued help. For more ways to help provide access to cleanliness, visit therighttoshower.com slash get involved to learn more about opportunities to volunteer or donate. You can also buy our shower products on therighttoshower.com or through Amazon. For every soap you buy and shower you take, you help bring showers to the streets. Another free and simple way you can help is to rate this podcast. Leave a review or share it with friends so we can spread the power of the shower to even more people. I'm Darius Baxter, and this has been The Right to Shower.